we face racism in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our experience of it is different. But the, I think that's one of the reasons there was this resurgence of the inequities in 2020. I'm going to take one, baby. What's up, everyone? Here we go again. It is February 22nd. And I just want to first apologize for not bringing this to you earlier. But today we are talking about Black History Month. Can I get a woo woo? And and before I continue, I I mean we are so blessed at downtown church. This is a rich church. And I don't mean financially, I mean just with people. We are wealthy with souls, with knowledge, with intelligence, with personality, with gifts. So who I have with me today, I have to my left, to my, in Spanish, I don't know how to say it in Spanish, but to my left in English. Um, He's scared to die. <laughs> He's scared there. Um, we have Aaron Cole. Uh, she, she don't need no introduction. She do it all. Actress, singer, painter, writer, okay. real estate seller, mm. doctor, and all that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're going to make a song for her, man. To my right, as I always introduce her, to my Rico left, I mean right. Um, we go with the Rachel if you want to keep it Spanish. We have, we have the mistress, um, anointed um, Adriana, finna be still Christmas. Hey. Finna be still Christmas. Oh, yes. Hey. Yes, still yeah, yeah, Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to my 12 o'clock, we have Dr. Finna be Dr. Daniel Warner, um, teacher at East. Mm-hmm. Anything else I should add? You won an award? Add to that? Yeah. Oh, teacher of the what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, some talk, some talk of about those. It. Talk about it, man. <laughs> Best <laughs> teacher in the state or something? Uh, some awards for teaching <laughs> American time, history to high school students. Yeah. I try to stay rooted in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, stay, we'll stay rooted. Man, look at so humble. God giving gifts. But no, uh, thank you again for listening to Take One Podcast today. Uh, we decided to take a break from talking about just the different aspects of relationships to just talk about. Um, black history um, It's something that happens every year right? Once a year And no matter how old you are You might have the question um, Why is there such a thing as black history When did it start Like, um, How did it come about Why do we still have black history So today um, We're just going to just, just chop it up And talk about just um, what does black history mean And why is it still here So Enjoy this conversation. Um, so my first question, anybody can 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 answer. Um, why was Black History started? I can take that. Um, so Black History started in 1926 by Carter G. Woodson, and he was an educator. Um, he attended Howard University and Harvard University, and he became a dean later at Har- at Howard University. And in his education, he saw that black people were being erased from history. Literally, their contributions weren't being acknowledged. And so he initiated Black History Week in 1926 to um, not inform people, but to just acknowledge you know, that black folks have yeah. been doing things, are doing things, and our history did not begin with slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so later on, I think 1969, 
you may, the historian over there have, <laughs> when it became a month and official by, recognized by other um, states, uh, countries, and across the world. So that's Black History Week turned month. So Black History Week started in 1920 what? 1926. 1926 yeah. and Black History Month then, then really started until 1969. Right. Wow. And Carter G. Woodson's exact words were, um, so that our race is no longer inferior. Mm. So acknowledging the contributions of yeah. uh, black folks to culture and society. That's what's up. Hmm. And, and being, you know, like a, a fake historian teaching <laughs> high school history, I was researching this stuff too. And uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me from Carter G. Woodson and, and why he wanted to start uh, initially, like you said, Aaron, Black History Week is because um, you know, February was when um, black folks had been celebrating the, the birthdays of Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to expand that and say, history is not just made by great men, but by ordinary people, mm -hmm. ordinary men and women. Mm -hmm. uh, and he wanted to highlight the way that, that ordinary black men and women had advanced civilization and society. Um, so very much so what you're saying of, of, of contributing to society and, and um, combating that erasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what's up. And, and I love that quote that you just read, Aaron, that uh, what he said was that black people are not inferior. Mm -hmm. Because I think that so many times people who, do, who don't know the history or the meaning of Black History Month can ask the question, why is there such a thing as Black History Month? Or why is there not a White History Month? Or this and that. Mm -hmm. And what you just said, like, it's not to say that black people are superior or better mm -hmm. or that we deserve our own money. It's just saying that we have been treated as inferior. We mm -hmm. are not inferior. Mm -hmm. And we have been erased mm -hmm. um, from, from history. So I just think that's rich to know and, and remember. Yeah, and it's interesting that you would say, like, it was started because black people were kind of erased. And, yeah, so I want to I wanna go ahead and ask this question because I feel like that still happens today. Um, so why would we say that Black History Month is still relevant to us today? Of course, it's like 2021. You know, we said it started as a week in 1926. So why is it still relevant so, so many years after? Yeah, I, I definitely have a, a lot that I would love to say about this. Um, Come on, let it go. <laughs> all right, all right. So... <laughs> Did you bring in an essay, a five-page <laughs> It's just size 24 font, <laughs> no, so I can read it. But, uh, no, I think that for me, black history gives us a clearer vision of ourselves mm. as both Americans and Christians. Mm. And I think that context is helpful for us, you know, here at downtown and here in Memphis. Um, for me, studying political science right now, it really helps me see the political project of the United States more clearly. Mm. And it helps me see the, um, the American experiment through the eyes of black people through a different angle. So, you know, you have all these inherent contradictions mm. in the United States and in our, in our experiment mm. here in democracy, where it comes to all men being created equal. Um, and those clear contradictions of the Declaration and other founding documents and creeds um, when you have slavery going on simultaneously. Um, and so you have these broad ideals of freedom and equality and liberty, and then the material existence of actual human beings in America mm. is literally the opposite of freedom. Mm. It is enslavement. And so when you look at America as a project through the eyes of black people, you begin to see the places where those calls for freedom are hollow, yeah. right? And so, you know, Frederick Douglass asked the question, what to the slave is the 4th of July, right? What does freedom mean to a person who is actively enslaved? 
Um, or like later on, you know, after World War II, what does American democracy mean that you just fought for, right, to a black soldier returning to the, the Jim Crow South? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you, you know, you think again, we were talking about real estate. You know, what does it mean that the suburbs, this very essence of the American dream, um, were, were really started as a racially restricted space in which only that, that was undergirded by loans that could only be accessed by white people, mm-hmm. right? So what then does the American dream mean? Um, through the eyes of a black person who's restricted from literally the access to that dream. So mm-hmm. does, is, a, is America this land of opportunity in the same way? And so for me, it has exposed the cracks in the project of democracy and freedom that otherwise just, you know, people want to just praise this project as though it's complete um, mm-hmm. and successful. And so, you know, I think about Frederick Douglass. He's the one calling for the Civil War to be a war of abolition. You know, he says there cannot be a slaveholding peace. There can only be an abolition peace. If we've gone this far, let's not just make come to terms and compromise with slaveholders. We have to end this so that we can enter into modernity, so we can enter into actual democracy. And, mm-hmm. and Du Bois, uh, who I think is just one of the most brilliant thinkers in American history, mm-hmm. he's talking about abolition democracy and the way that when you seek a democracy that empowers black people, it's actually empowering for everyone, mm-hmm. right? You take up the needs of, of the most vulnerable uh, alongside black people when you care for and empower and listen to black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's so many other examples. You know, Fannie Lou Hamer doing the exact same thing, mm-hmm. bringing democracy to Mississippi, uh, which is so important for our, our context here mm-hmm. in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And so that's the America identity. And then what it says to me as a Christian is it, it really disabuses us of the notion that, that the United States is god's chosen people that we are a christian (laughs) nation because we're able to see the way that christian values have not been lived out Mm -hmm. clearly at all um and so i think that for a long time black christians have borne witness to the way american christianity has been more shaped by cultural and racial allegiances than by an actual commitment to the gospel of jesus Uh, so for me, as a history teacher, I didn't know a lot of this history when I moved here. I, I learned it so I could teach it to high schoolers. And it has reshaped me uh-huh. in my own understanding of my own American and Christian identity as a white person. Um, so for me, you know, Black History Month is incredibly relevant mm-hmm. today for for all people. Uh-huh. And that's my super long answer. <laughs> and I don't know why I'm here, so. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's great. Okay. To drop the mic. It's take one, so like you can, there's no like allotment of how much time you have per question, so like we just go. Until Cal tells you to wrap it up like he always <laughs> does when I'm in the middle of talking. But no, I mean, I love this question. When I first thought about it, it really made me for the first time say, hmm, like why, why is it still relevant? And um, what came to mind was just the fact that I feel like just what that quote said, what black history is, it's not a, you know, we're better or, you know, we care so much about ourselves that we want to take a whole month for ourselves. But it's almost a, a expression to, for, for me personally, when I think about honoring um, those who came before us, I do think about the oppression, the suffering, the turmoil that they had to go through, but still, um, you know, um, still rose up from that mm-hmm. and through that. And I'm just like, that's a beautiful thing to remember. 
Um, even as a Christian, as I think about my faith, I'm reminded that, man, there were, and I heard one pastor say his granddad, he knows for a fact was his, his third, his great, great grandfather was a slave pastor and he, he could not read, but he loved the Bible so much that he would listen to people read the Bible and he would memorize scripture and even how that shaped his faith today as a believer, knowing that his his great great grandfather, you know, faith faith got him through, um, and just the discipline and love he had for for God's word um, is so amazing. And also, just I think it's relevant too, not to just even highlight the beautiful parts of of our history, like the you know, Rosa Parks sat on the bus, you know, and did that, or just the beautiful parts where we talk about like the Million Man March and the I Have a King speech, but to honestly like still highlight the the Tulsa bombing and the and the ugly and painful parts of um, you know history, and I think that's relevant because we have to remember the full picture of history to see who we really are as a people, and to really see like how can we move forward um, as a people. And I think what has happened, why black history is here, like we said, is because history has been rewritten in a way that that always paints this pretty picture as like everything is just so great. But we really need to see that like some of our heroes and 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 idols um, wasn't that great, you know what I'm saying? Um, so. And I, I think that you we can still run the risk of teaching black history from a perspective that centers whiteness mm. mm-hmm. and uh, it comes from taking the the real like claws out of some of the things that have been said by those leading black liberation movements you know um, so I think that a lot of times for black history month or MLK day we'll see the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. with you know judged by the content of your character on the color of your skin and they won't talk about a promissory check that has come back, funds insufficient, that the United States is not, you know, King talking about reparations, King talking about economic redistribution, talking yeah. about militarism and materialism and capitalism. Yeah. And so there's some really radical stuff in black history that really has a lot to say to us today in 2021 uh, where we're at in the United States. Um, and so it's like important, like you're saying, to not only talk about the black history in a, a triumphalist kind of way, like look at all the success, like Rosa Parks, she's so successful, mm-hmm. it's like one story, or Dr. King, but to look at the ordinary struggles of people, like Rosa Parks, that whole organization in Montgomery was around women actually protecting themselves from sexual assault, right? They were, mm-hmm. sexual assault was a very frequent problem for black women in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the organizing had happened in Montgomery based around protect, protecting women. Um, and, and black women who were working as domestic servants at the time were the ones that had to ride the bus across town and were the most vulnerable in different parts of town. So it's just like learning the actual ways that people had to protect themselves, the darker parts, yeah. to lead to um, more liberatory ends. That's the kind of stuff that really brings black history to life for me. Yeah, yeah I think like the when you guys talk about the darker spots, I always <clears throat> think about 
there are so many things that we see today that are a direct result of the darker parts of our history. Yeah. And I think if yeah. we don't remember those darker parts, it's easy to say, well, why is this an issue? For example, why are women always sexualized in the, in the media, mm -hmm. right? Well, where does that really come from? That comes from slavery and them being raped by their masters. Mm -hmm. And I think like that, that may be hard for people to hear, but it's true. Like I know that my skin is probably lighter because that was in my history, right? Yeah. And so I think, um, and then when we go more to like structural and systematic racism, Wait, what? He light skin. You light skin too, brother. Your hair. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> but We're like, need some visuals. Uh, this episode. But um, and like I would, I, I actually like I would like to say I'm caramel, you know. But people don't like to. Anyway, okay. Back to the point. But okay, I'm I'm trying to like bring levity, but. Like, even when we go to, like, the structural things and economic justice and things, I think that a lot of, well, I won't say a lot, but I think some of the people that are just like, why can't black people, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, you know, try to say black people are lazy, whatever. Like, I'm, I, um, I don't understand. I don't have privilege as a white person. Just all these things that people try to fight against, if you really look at the history, if you just want to look at, like, Jim Crow and Reconstruction. Just look at that for a second. All right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, look at those two things and then tell me you're not privileged, you know? But I think if we are not remembering those darker parts, then it's easy to say, you know, this person is poor because of their own, mm -hmm. their own doing. Mm, yeah. Opposed to like, okay, what, what happened with their great grandfather? And then let's, let's trace it back. Um, and so, yeah, those darker parts, I think are important. I think they're important to be taught as well um, to the generation coming up. Cause I would hate to see like our kids or our, our even our grandchildren kind of forget this history and just say like people are lazy or you know, whatever and not look at like the structures and the systems that are, are um, at play. Yeah. yeah. And then just also the identity piece, like I know as a black woman, Knowing some of my history, like my great great grandfather, great 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 grandmother, I guess, was a slave, but she sang, which mm -hmm. is cool for me to know, like as she a worship sing, leader, like okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and she like got she got some kind of special permission, and this is all oral history, mm -hmm. like passed down, but she got some kind of special like permission to go to another plantation. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't just on wow. her plantation, like she was singing around the the city yeah. or whatever. Um, so that's just a good thing to know. Like, oh, I come from somebody that sings, and she was a slave, but she was still bringing joy. Like, wow. that type of deal. Mm. Um, and I think um, even, like, for example, like, current black history, like, my vice president looks like me, you know, <laughs> like, that whole thing. Um, it does bring a sense of identity um, for black people. But I want to ask this question. So I'm saying that as a black woman, like, why do we believe that this is relevant to people of all ethnicities? Well, Going back to what Daniel was talking about, the American dream, that's something that is coveted by people of all ethnicities. Mm -hmm. um, people come to this soil mm -hmm. to find a better life for themselves. And that was created on the backs of black people, <laughs> you know, and like very literally our modern culture, um, inventions of the refrigerator and cooling systems and uh, super stove, super super soaker <laughs> and stove. <laughs> and um, I wrote some some the, the shoe, uh, the chamber commode, which led to the toilet, the guitar, the, the lamp, shoe. lantern, Come the printing press, the uh, our method of air conditioning, mm -hmm. uh, the typewriting machine, oil heater, clothes mm -hmm. dryer, curtain rod. If if not even the um, electric railroad system, like underground wow. railroad wow. system. Um, if not the invention of, 
the advancement mm. of mm-hmm. a lot of different mm-hmm. things, yeah. hundreds of inventions. Yeah. And to erase that from mm. our history and from the American dream is a travesty. Yeah. <laughs> like, why, why would we do that? Our, and even from a labor standpoint, the buildings that we uphold in our, mm-hmm. in our democracy, you know, who built those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's real. You know, um, and so quite literally paying homage mm-hmm. to people that have given their lives for that dream. Mm-hmm. They fought for it, too. And they didn't even want to be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, they, but they fought to get out of it and to, to find something better for themselves. Yeah. Um, and even the privilege to say that privilege doesn't exist is a privilege, uh-huh. you know, because you don't even know <laughs> yeah. what a person has gone through quite literally most of us have pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. <laughs> like, I look at my family, and I'm like, I don't know how my granddaddy got my family out of what we was in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know how he did this. He didn't have a daddy. My grandmama's or a mama supporting him. My yeah. grandmama didn't have a mama or a daddy supporting them. Yeah. They just got married when they were 16 and started a whole new thing. Mm. How many other black families have done that? Right. We've yes. been... We've been what we have done, we have done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I do think there's something inspiring about that, yes. that every mm-hmm. blue-collar worker, no matter whatever ethnicity you are, yes. you would find beauty in that, uh, That how black people have to struggle for that dream, mm. yeah. you know, um, and how we have supplied, how we have brokered that dream for mm-hmm. Americans. Come on. So. That's, oh, that's <laughs> so and happy just to kind of add this little um, um, nugget in there is my grandmother. We celebrated her 75th birthday this past summer. She young. Okay, yeah. She had a baby when she was 17. <laughs> uh, like, got married when she was 17. Kind of what you just explained. Yeah, mm-hmm. And we celebrated her 75th birthday. And this is my grandma. And for the first time, she started telling us, like, her childhood stories that I never heard. Mm-hmm. That I don't think my mama ever heard. Yeah. And something she told me, she was just like, yo, um, sharecropping is slavery first-hand cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't know that that she was, her and her sisters grew up in the field still picking cotton mm-hmm. like they were slaves her entire, her entire childhood. Mm-hmm. She said that if they, didn't, if they didn't pick enough cotton and their bag wasn't, um, wasn't um, didn't weigh enough, she was beaten in the field. Mm. And she kind of like joked and, and said that her youngest sister was like the pretty girl and then like getting her, her nails dirty and she could never pick enough cotton. So mm-hmm. they used to always put rocks at the bottom of her bag wow. so she wouldn't get beat. Yeah. And she telling me just all these childhood stories, um, stuff that they had to endure. And I'm like, it's just so often that we kind of, even as a black man, it's like, oh, slavery was just way back then. It wasn't but it's just that like, long no, ago. this. <laughs> it wasn't that long. These ago. people are still alive. Yes. Yeah. The people who, my grandma, um, the people who oppressed her, you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, it just, to me, it's also relevant because it's not like, oh, yeah, this happened so long ago. We got to get past this. It's just like, hey, this. This is, in a sense, the past, but we are still affected by this, and this mm-hmm. is still, um, like, it's, it's ongoing. But until we really understand, like we already said, the history, mm-hmm. um, just what really happened, um, the effects that it has really had um, on, on my family. Yes. Like, yeah. even my, my personal family, um, even me hearing my grandma tell these stories, 
allowed me to say, okay, now I see why you were this way growing up. Yeah. You know, now. And why you don't talk about it because yeah. it's traumatic. Yeah. Right. This is why I'm just hearing about this. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, and so it's. It and, just, and we're yeah. still battling that positional inferiority. Mm-hmm. I'm not inferior. Don't tell me that. Right. I don't believe it. I ain't never thought it because I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there is a position that we still, persona that we still carry, that mm-hmm. we're still fighting against today. So it's going to be relevant. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah, for sure. I feel like this conversation can, can turn so many ways right now because like, this really is like a sensitive topic um, now because it's even just the fact of like... Um, um, like I'm affected as a man, even though I wasn't enslaved, yeah. mm-hmm. but because I'm been affected by what my dad did not get from his dad. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So it's just the whole generational effects of it that we really don't and see. The separation talk about. of black families. Yeah. We, we are still fighting to get our families back yeah. together. You know, like, Black men being ripped apart from their wife and their children and black women so. having to breastfeed white babies. And I mean, yeah. like crazy <laughs> to real. even say, you and know, e- and even with that, just even. I have a close person in my family who is the product of of rape mm-hmm. because she was a a um, housekeeper in this white man's house. Yeah. She was raped, but it was during the um the Jim Crow era. So guess what? She couldn't call the police, mm. right? She couldn't go and tell anyone. So she lived her entire mm. life um, knowing that the man across the street from her raped her. Mm. And now she's raising a child, um, always being unreminded by this. Wow. And I even think about 2021, 20, 2020, the Black Lives Matter movement, the millennial generation, I do feel like um, the previous generations, they were traumatized affected firsthand mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying by the damage but they was it was during a time where it's just like if I do talk I might even die yeah so I have to be hush hush about this mm-hmm. but now it's at a time where I believe that that you have these movements the black lives matter movement just just as the biggest example of saying no we are no longer going to be quiet um that's why I do feel like this past summer was such a big um was so big because we now have a generation that is saying we are not going to be quiet anymore. Yeah, but but also because our parents' generation, well, our grandparents, things were so traumatic for them mm-hmm. that they really worked hard to raise our parents in a way that things weren't traumatic mm-hmm. for them. Then our parents were working. Yeah, <laughs> they were. They were like, "Listen, we're not living in this hood. We're not living. We're not right, doing that. Right, right. I'm gonna tell you what we're not gonna have." Right. And so then they wanted their children to have this privilege, mm-hmm. right? So we grow up, and it's not that we don't face we we face racism in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our experience of it is different, but the I think that's one of the reasons there was this resurgence of the inequities in 2020 mm-hmm. is because they were like, we don't want to talk about that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing mm-hmm. something because I want you to have a different future. I want you to go right. to college. I want you to get a good job. Right. I want you to get retirement benefits. <laughs> you know, it's like, so these are the things that I want you to, to pursue mm-hmm. as to um, put you in a better position so that we don't repeat history or that you won't ever have to think about. Because if you make enough money, then mm. you don't need to be mm-hmm. subject to 
the white man in this way or that, you know. Oh so, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh man, I just, I like, which is, I'm just like, oh, there, there are so, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, there's so many ways. Because mm-hmm. I think about, like, you have to be twice as good to get half as much as what, of what mm-hmm. they have. And, like, that is definitely what <laughs> was kind of passed down. Not those specific words. Yeah. But just like education. Mentality. Is, yeah, but yeah. it's a mentality. Like, education and money is your way to, like, make it out of, like, racism mm-hmm. <laughs> or to escape. And I think, what I'm seeing now is like racism doesn't necessarily go away. It like evolves. Yep. It changes. Um, it's more of in a system, baked into a system, or it's yeah. baked into implicit bias. Baked. You know what I mean? Or or just whatever. And it's just like, man, like it's not that we're enslaved anymore. Mm-hmm. But you can't keep me from getting a house that I want. And I mm-hmm. actually have the money to pay for. Yeah. Right. But there's some discrimination going on there and you can't necessarily like put your finger on it or yeah. say that's what it is. Yeah. You know? yeah. Sorry. What do you think, Daniel? What? <laughs> I mean, um, this is a great conversation to listen to. Because <laughs> we like going, going. <clears throat> I, um, I think it's really important when we talk about the black freedom struggle to look at the way it impacted ordinary people. So when you're talking about the woman, um, who was raped by the, the man she worked for, right? Like I was trying to make this point earlier is that that is what motivated black women to organize in Montgomery. And though a young Dr. King comes in and is the face of the bus boycott, mm. it was black women defending their right to self-determination mm-hmm. over their body mm. yeah. and protecting their very, like just uh, ordinary life, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. That is what led to of the foundation of organizing that led to an effective boycott mm-hmm. and who had to boycott the buses. It was the domestic servants, mm-hmm. right? The very people who have already made themselves the most vulnerable yes. to work across town in a white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Now they have to walk to work. They had to catch all these rides. They're doing all this stuff for a year. And I think that that helps me make more sense of the way black lives matter has manifested itself in our time. Because you wonder, okay, we have all of these baked into the system, institutional discrimination, racism issues in housing, healthcare, education, policing, everything. Why is it that a police, a a moment of police violence is what catalyzes this massive worldwide moment? And it's because it's so personal. And I think that my students in high school don't understand civil rights movement didn't start out as this political goal. It started out as a very personal desire for just allow me to flourish. Yes. Let me be. Let my kids be. They want to get an education and not like, you know, with sharecropping. I've had kids tell me about their grandparents who were sharecroppers for a long time. And they want to know about reparations. Mm -hmm. Like my, they they know how hard their grandparents worked. Mm -hmm. And they've been raised by those people and the people who were raised like their mothers and fathers who were raised by their grandparents. They've seen the work ethic. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to them. You told me if I work hard, I should Mm -hmm. be successful. You're not. You have nothing. Why? And who's going to make that right? Because I know you've worked hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And kids don't understand that it's not just, you don't have to just like organize a political group and talk about politics and government and whatever, you can just say, man, what makes my community better? What makes me feel safer? What makes me feel like I have access just like anybody else? Yes. That's at the heart of, of freedom struggles and liberatory projects. Um, so for me, there's actually a book called At the Dark End of the Street about mm-hmm. uh, the rape of Reese Taylor. Mm-hmm. And that's what got Ro- Rosa Parks was an NAACP field secretary. She wasn't just, you know, some tired lady. Mm-hmm. And she had been investigating um, black women who had been subject to sexual assault mm-hmm. um, and hearing their stories and basically trying to help them get um, representation in court. 
Uh, and so anyway, that book really shaped me mm-hmm. this last mm-hmm. year. I would highly recommend it uh, yeah. for a look at the intersection of both gender and race. And it's called what again? At the Dark End of the Street. Um, I forget the author's name. Her first name's Danielle, I think. But um, it's just so important as well to, to look at the way black women have uniquely yeah. endured racism yeah. at the intersection of gender and race. Yeah. I, I dare you, so help us out. Help our um, people out a little bit more. Everyone um, just answer this question. Um, how can we as individuals and as a family, as a church family, um, um, continue to celebrate this? Yeah. So the question of celebration is a tough one based on the conversation we just had, <laughs> right? It's well, a t- honor, honor. Right, so, right. Yeah, it's, honor. A, it's a tension, though, mm-hmm. because you want to celebrate black culture, black joy, but you feel like you have, like what I was hearing Adriana say, is you feel like you have to go through black pain and black suffering to get there mm-hmm. so that people recognize, like, it's not all. Because that if you just celebrate black joy, you risk the whole happy slave narrative mm-hmm. of the lost mm-hmm. cause, mm-hmm. right? And that's just so far from reality. Why would people form insurrections and run away if they were happy? Mm-hmm. Right. Angela Davis makes that point again and again. Like, a slave insurrection refutes the lost cause if, I don't know, that might be a little too deep Civil War reconstruction, <laughs> but I'm into it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, well, one take. Here we are. <laughs> I'm going to bounce back to what I was going to say before anyway. Um, I think, oh, yeah, so the celebration, the joy versus the suffering. So, for me, I want to not just read the biography that highlights here's some bad stuff, here's some good stuff. I want to hear the words mm. of the people. Yes. I want to read their speeches, their diaries. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and so I think when we're thinking about like how we're making this a part of our church and our families, with little kids, you know, you have these little like biographies about like Dr. King or you know, more radical Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Torre, you know, if you want to get that direction. And but you can lose it when you just give them the highlights mm-hmm. instead of like let's read uh, uh, Beyond Vietnam, right? Let's read the Other America, these much more radical speeches from King, and let's see what he has to say. For me. Uh, that was a moment of transformation in college. Um, I hadn't been exposed to a Christianity that applied the gospel of Jesus to, the, to American society around me. White evangelicalism is very disembodied. It's all about, you know, evangelizing and salvation and, and vertical uh, reconciliation, no horizontal. Uh, and reading Dr. King, I'm seeing this prophetic imagination of the black church that I had never encountered. Um, Dr. So, King was a preacher first. That <laughs> yes. boy could preach. <laughs> and, and so those, those speeches, those sermons, mm-hmm. they really begin to reshape my understanding of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so that's why in, my, you know, in thinking about why black history is so important, because as a Christian, as a white Christian, listening to black Christians helps me see where my Christianity yes. has been shaped by my cultural mm-hmm. assumptions yes. and commitments and not Jesus. Yeah. So that's somewhere to start. Yeah, that's good. And also, like, I just wanted to highlight when you said from the conversation we just had about, like, the darker parts, it's Mm -hmm. like, also, you cannot celebrate the triumphs if you don't know the darker parts. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, it's not that big of a deal Mm -hmm. for somebody Mm -hmm. to, to, uh, you know, create the cooling system that we use now, whatever, if you don't realize what they really were up against. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just not that amazing. So, yeah. That's what's up. Yeah, what uh, question? So, yeah, so how can we <laughs> celebrate this? So, so I want to get to this, this point of, yes, we have Black History Month, 
but it shouldn't stop right. within, you know, those 28 days, right? So how do we do this individually in our families? How are we celebrating? And more honoring is probably what we're looking for. How do we honor mm. Black history? Not just in February, but like... It's a lifestyle. So I got three, <laughs> three points. Um, yes. Acknowledgement, accountability, and becoming a customer of black businesses, I think, are things okay. that we can do year-round. And so um, one with uh, acknowledgement is goes to what you were saying, Daniel, um, that racism, systematic ra racism, mm -hmm. um, inequity, and inequality has permeated every single area of life. <laughs> like it's not just with police brutality, you know. Um, it in every profession, in every in every place where there could be a black person, and it's not just. It even has impacted how black people, how we talk to each other, yeah, and how we interact with each other. Yeah. Um, and so, just acknowledging that um, you may need to be mindful mm -hmm. in every area of life to acknowledge, like, hmm, things may not be equal here. Things may not be on an even playing field here. Like I may need to think about my brother or my sister in a different way here. Um, acknowledging the past, but also acknowledging the, um, the hope of the future and uh, celebrating, you know, the contributions that black people have made. So making yourself aware um, of those contributions and what black folks have done and the struggle and the triumph. So acknowledgement to accountability. Um, I think these are broad terms, but I mean accountability from the top down. Uh, when you, I know I have uh, filtered myself a lot in, I try not to, but I don't even know that I'm doing it sometimes. Uh, in the context of my white brothers and sisters, I like don't call them out for saying something that's off or, you know, it maybe just to be a little small thing. I was like, well, I don't want them to think that I'm, always thinking about this, but I am, but I mean, <laughs> um, but yeah, just like holding folks accountable to what they say, their language. I mean, at the end of the day, George Floyd did not happen in that moment. That, that officer had something else going on way before, you know, yeah. that moment that erupted across the world. And so, um, it's just accountability in your friendships, accountability. Do you have any black friends? I mean, <laughs> um, do you have any places where you, where your world is expanded beyond, you know, what's in front of you? Um, and there was another something that I was going to say about accountability, but I can't remember right now, so I'll move on. And then, oh yes, this, this goes accountability in supporting black businesses. So 40 acres on a mule, reparations. Now, I don't know if we'll ever get that. I'm still praying. <laughs> but just in case we don't, um, there are a lot of black businesses that would thrive just on the sheer value, supply and demand. Mm -hmm. If people wanted their services, then they would like survive as a business. But a lot of times like black businesses will go out of business because they don't have enough business to sustain themselves. Yeah. And so I think just, um, and I'm careful not to use the word support because support versus becoming a customer. Mm. Like I'm a customer, I'm saying that I need a service that you have. Mm. 
And so that it's not there's charity. a right, right, like there's a there's a humility in me even saying that I need something that you got. Mm-hmm. When you go to like in the pandemic, when I was going to Whole Foods and there was a line wrapped around, you know, and it was you know whatever weather outside wrapped around the thing, and you know you see that there's a demand for that. So there must be something in that store that people really want. And we need to do the same thing when it comes to black services, black businesses, um, not just supporting, but becoming that customer. And then also in, in accountability, if you're a customer and you're not having a good experience, tell them. Mm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if I get a steak from somewhere and it's not prepared how I want to, you don't just walk out because like, oh, I don't want them to know that, you know, or, like that's how the business be, businesses become better businesses. Yes. They need to have the failure in order to become stronger. Mm-hmm. And honestly, um, and I mean accountability both ways, black folks to white folks, other ethnicities, um, black people as a culture, we're not a monolith, of course, but we're just more of a confrontational group of people. And so if, if you mess up, we're going to tell you that was wrong. How are you going to fix it? <laughs> mm-hmm. So if a white person is coming to a black business and they do something that you don't like, you don't have to be a jerk, but share that with them so that they have the opportunity to grow mm-hmm. as a business. Mm-hmm. So becoming a customer, acknowledgement and accountability, I think I say three That's things. Good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I think with acknowledgement too. Um, so we do have one book recommendation that Daniel already said, The uh, well, the Dark End of the Street. It's also, a, I think they did some kind of documentary on it or something yeah there's there? a story about reesey taylor okay. on some platform some kind of platform like yeah netflix or something yeah um for like our body the color of compromise is a good book to start off mm-hmm. with if you want to like get with that acknowledgement and awareness um of some of the just the history in general so yeah. we can know and we're not repeating that history and just remembering like the whole purpose like we talked about of why black history month was created um, to make sure we're not erasing history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I love what you're saying about black businesses. And yeah, it's not supporting or helping them out. Like you need something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're coming as like an equal person, yeah. you know. Um, anything you want to add? Any final thoughts? We are getting to the, close my, to the end. I appreciate you all. My last thought just over this whole conversation is in seminary, I have not once been required to read a book from a black author. Mm. Um, no. And I, I'm, I'm, I've been working for years to receive my Master's of Divinity, which is 90 credit hours. And not once have I been required or to read a, um, like, to read from a black author, from a black perspective, Oof. to hear any, and like, and for my, um, history of Christianity class, it went from the book of Acts talking about the apostles and the disciples to like year 300, year 400 to like Europe and talking to just like straight white people. Mm-hmm. And then then for the rest of the semester, I was I heard about white person after white person who, who was this missionary, who started this, who started that. And what that teaches, what that, um, you know, teaches without saying is that Oh, this is a white religion, or only white men have contributed to mm-hmm. to doctrine to this. Um, and like some just weren't sitting right with me. I was like, there is a whole gap right here from 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 year let's say forty <laughs> A.D. to four hundred A.D. And what I did, I started to have to do my own research. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we always hear about John Calvin and Martin Luther and all these other guys. 
And when I started looking at that time spirit, um, I said, I said spirit, period, that was, um, you know, not talked about, I learned that most of these men who we talk about got their theology mm-hmm. and learned from African church fathers, from, yes. mm-hmm. from black men. And that really, um, you know, like that, that encouraged me um, just to see that. But like black history isn't just like, oh, we want you to learn about black history and learn about black people. It's no like we want you to learn the truth, to learn so you can get the full picture. Um, and and it's it amazes me um, um, that that we really only highlight um, trying to get the right words like we highlight half the picture and we mm-hmm. are so impressed by half the picture mm. when we could really have this whole fuller picture wow. of just life and beauty um mm. so like to me that's what black history is it's not an attempt to elevate one group over another or to isolate or forget about different groups mm-hmm. um but it's just to bring a whole picture um um and you know of course this conversation can go on um all day but um any other closing thoughts before we i would love to add just something real quick uh first of all thanks for having me on on the show guys you know uh but i I think that especially so there's nothing inherent about being black that makes you aware of your own history right just like i don't know everything about england because i'm white and my folks were english right and you just got to know that you know and i've learned that from teaching african-american kids who are very excited to know their history, but just haven't been taught it. And many uh, of my friends who are grown adults who are African-American are not also aware of their history because you don't inherently know history. History is something you have to learn. Um, And so my my point here is whether you're white or black um, in this conversation, it's about doing the reading. You got to research. You got (laughs) to learn. Um, and there's a lot of people out there who have made it plain. Too much of our information comes from scrolling on a timeline and looking at a meme or some long post from a person that cites no sources, you know? <laughs> and we don't actually read the people themselves and we don't connect a timeline to explain things. We don't have a framework to explain our realities today. Mm-hmm. We have these individual moments, right, uh, that we can name like a Du Bois or a Garvey or a Carmichael, but we don't have necessarily a timeline that connects their movements and what thinking was like in the black, in different black communities. Um, so I just want to encourage people to do the reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing, especially for, for white folks, white people are obsessed with the civil war and especially white Southerners. And so David Blight's course on uh, Yale open courses on iTunes U it is a fantastic course. He's a professor at Yale. He's, he's really the foremost scholar on Frederick Douglass in the United States right now. Mm. And it really ch- uh, changed and, and extended and developed my understanding of the Civil War and Reconstruction, which I think is the most important period to understand today. Mm. Uh, that's why the Civil Rights Movement was called the Second Reconstruction in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And uh, people like Dr. William Barber argue right now is the Third Reconstruction. Mm. So anyway, I would encourage people, if you don't like to do the reading, do the listening and look <laughs> up these, these yeah. lectures. It's from Yale. It's like what kids at Yale are taking. You know, you can feel smart and fancy. <laughs> um, and, and check it out because it really can reshape your understanding of American history, which then reshapes um, a lot of your current social mm-hmm. commitments. Mm-hmm. And I can go on and on about the way history shapes even our theology and all of that stuff. But that's yeah. my listen to David Blight. That's what I want to say. Wow. That's good. Wow. 
Well, wow. thank you all so much. I, I feel like I need to go like check out that course <laughs> real quick because I will say like I am black, but there's so much I'm learning in adulthood right. that was not taught to me when I was growing up That's right. um, in, a, in a predominantly black neighborhood. So, yes. Yes, thank you all so much for coming. We appreciate you, Sergi. As I always give the closing remarks. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I didn't I, mean to take this slide, my man. The, <laughs> the closing words and the benediction. Yeah. I feel like it's it's appropriate to benedict you by saying knowledge <laughs> is power. Say it with me out there. Knowledge is power. power. I did not want to join this. Amen. Yeah, me <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, this is Take One Podcast at Downtown Church, and we are out.